Today's passage will be written out of Matthew 1, 1 through 17. According to the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother is Tamar. Perez was a father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amidadab, Amidadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the king of David. David was a father of Simon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Solomon, the mother, the father of Rehobodom, Rehobodom, the father of Bahijah, Bahijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Azaz, Azaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was a father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was a father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elikim. Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zodak, Zodak the father of Ekam, Ekam the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, whose husband of Mary and whom was born of Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile of Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to Jesus to the Christ. That, my friends, is not an easy passage to read, (laughs) or to hear, (laughs) for that matter. Uh, Tonight, I want to talk to you about family, and I want to talk to you in particular about God's family, and while we normally talk about the local church as being God's family, tonight we're going to talk about God's actual family, God's literal family, and what I mean by that is that Jesus Christ, we believe, is God's Son. He is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so Jesus, though, because he was human, had a family. He, he has a family tree, just like you and I do. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's, that's what we just heard. We just heard what uh, Jesus' family tree. And, and, and um, this is going to sound uh, obvious, but did you know that uh, you did not choose your family? You knew that, right? You did not choose your family. Uh, You were born into a particular family apart from any decision of your own. You had no say in the matter. In fact, if it were up to you, you may not have chosen some of the people who are in your family (laughs) to be in your family. I mean, if if choosing your family was an option, like like choosing, uh, picking teams 
on the playground or something like that, you may have passed over some of the members in your family. You maybe would have passed over your brother or your sister or your uncle or a cousin or even uh, your mom or your dad. Isn't that true? And so I just want to acknowledge that, that we don't, we don't choose our family. And if we could have chosen our family, we probably wouldn't have chosen the family that we're, that we were born into. And so, you know, just, let's just, let's just clear the air and release some of the tension here. And, and if you came with a family member tonight, just turn to your family member right now and say, why? Why did it have to be you? Just do that right now. All right, let's move on before uh, this gets ugly. Um, when it comes to family, okay, we don't get to pick. Your family and your roots were set in stone long before you were born. There's nothing you can do to change it. You can try to distance yourself from your family. You can move out of state. You can, um, you can try to create distance between you and the other members of your family who you're not comfortable with or not comfortable belonging to as members of your family. You can try to hide them. You can even change your last name if you really want to. You can legally change your last name. But that doesn't change who your family is, does it? Your family is something that God chose for you. Now the reason I bring this up is that Jesus Christ is the only human being ever to choose his family. He actually chose his family. Because Jesus is God the Son, and because he is um, the, the only human being who has two natures, he's fully God and fully man, that's what we believe. He's the God-man, and we're told that Jesus has existed for all eternity. Jesus was there when God created the world, when he created the universe. We're told that God created the world and, and all living things through Jesus, and that in Jesus, all things hold together which is really amazing if you think about it because Jesus did become a person. He was born into the world just like you and I. Well, not just like you and I, but in very much the same way, he was a baby. And even as a baby, here's the one who held everything together in, his, in the palm of his hand, as it were. Even as a child, everything was held together through Jesus. I can't even get my mind around that. And, and what that means is that Jesus chose what kind of family he was going to enter the world through. He chose this family. The, that's, what, that's what makes these names significant. The, there are um, dozens and, of chapters in the Bible that are made up mostly of names. Those are the chapters that if you read your Bible or if you have devotions in the morning, you probably skip over those chapters because you think there's not much there for, for you and for, and for me. And I've done that before, just like some of you have. You know, we read passages that are full of names and these family histories, and we're like, what's the point? And the truth is that Matthew's audience, the, Matthew is the writer of this gospel, this first gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and one of the things that sets Matthew's gospel apart is he starts with this list of names. That's what he decides to start. His, his account of Jesus' life starts with all these names. And Jewish people, and actually every ancient culture cared a lot about names. They cared a lot about your family heritage. They cared a lot about your pedigree. Because what's true about ancient cultures that's not as much true about us today is that your family tree actually determined your destiny. Your pedigree determined your destiny. It mattered a lot uh, who you came from. And 
most people didn't even know, they didn't have the luxury of knowing their family tree, knowing their family history. It cost a lot of money to have your family tree um, traced out for you because it, there was only a certain kind of person who had to have uh, access to certain resources and they had to have a specific skill set in order to be able to trace your family roots. And so you had to hire somebody to do that. And not a lot of people had the money back then to do that. And what's really interesting is that in ancient cultures, especially with Jews, if you had the power and the, and the influence to be able to hire somebody to trace out your family tree, what you did when you got your family tree and your family history is you would edit it. You would change it. And the way that people would change their uh, genealogy or their family lineage is they wouldn't add people. They would take people out. <laughs> they would take out certain people who they weren't proud of. And the reason they did that is because if you wanted to get anywhere in life back then, you had to have pedigree. You had to have an impressive family line. And so that's what they would do. If you wanted to be a person who was successful, a person of power or influence, uh, you wanted to have status or position, then you had to have pedigree. And so that's what, that's what many people would do. And um, what's, you know, Matthew's genealogy really isn't that different. Matthew actually uh, left certain people out and put certain people into Jesus' genealogy who were, who were actually part of the family line. But it's curious, you know, why did he include this name or that name? It's much like how we use a resume today. Um, we use a resume to get ahead, to, to establish credibility and position and influence in, in life. We, and we show that resume to uh, prospective employers. And so you and I both, when we give our resume to someone, you don't put every job you've ever had on there, right? We leave a lot of jobs out that just they don't need to know about. I don't have on my resume that I worked at Hardee's for two weeks in 1991. Even if that did shape my character in some way, Nobody needs to know that. It's not important. It's not going to get me anywhere, for sure, <laughs> um, in life or at some company that I want to work for. And, and what's really fascinating about Matthew's account of Jesus' family line, it's not that he, actually, that he was selective. Because we're all selective with our resumes. We all choose what jobs to put on there and what jobs to leave out. That's just kind of expected. And it's, it's not... It's not fascinating that Matthew is somewhat selective here. It's, it's how he's selective. It's the people who he actually puts in to Jesus' family line, who were actually members of Jesus' family line, that leaves us wondering, why? Why would God want us to know that this person was part of Jesus' family tree? And, and the first thing that I want you to know about this genealogy. Genealogy, by the way, for some of the younger people in here, if you don't know what genealogy is, it's just your family tree. It's who you came from. Your mom and dad, you came from your mom and dad, and they came from other people. And, and um, genealogy comes from the Greek word genesis. It's about beginnings. It's about your roots. It's about where you started. And that's what uh, Matthew wants to show us. It's where Jesus' family started. And what's what jumps out at us right away is that there are five women included in this list of names. 
And what's really interesting about that is that women were almost never included in genealogies in the Bible or any other ancient culture. Because in ancient times, women were treated as possessions, not as people. Women did not have, um, they could not testify in a court of law in, in uh, ancient Jewish culture. They did not have the right to own property. They were seen as mostly as objects to be used to have families. That's how women were treated. So we've come a long way, haven't we? And you all, you all probably knew that. But it's interesting. There's no reason for Matthew. It was, it was not normal for anyone to add women to a genealogy. So that would have been the first thing to jump out at um, Matthew's Jewish readers. Because he's writing to a male-dominated culture. But it's not just that there were women included in the genealogy. It's which women he chooses to put in the family line of Jesus. Which women he chooses to highlight. So let's look at the first couple of verses again. In, in Matthew chapter 1, the first thing we read is, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. His mother was Tamar. I don't know if you know anything about Tamar, but Tamar we read about way back in Genesis chapter 38. And Tamar's life is tied up with Judah's life. And I'm not going to share all of the gory details with you. If you really want to know the whole story, you can go back to Genesis 38. I'm going to give you the abbreviated PG version of this family, this family's history, okay? Judah was um, one of 12 brothers that were born to Jacob. And that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judah was the fourth son born to Jacob. And the first thing we read is that his name... In Genesis 32, we're told his name means God be praised. And then we don't read anything about him for for, uh, many, many years until we get to Genesis 37. And in Genesis 37, we read about Joseph. This, This begins the story of Joseph, which many of you are familiar with. Joseph was the brother who Jacob loved the most. And Joseph was the one who Jacob had this uh, beautiful multicolored coat made for. And, and Jacob favored Joseph, and because he favored Joseph, the rest of his brothers hated him. And as some of you know, uh, Joseph came to his brothers to check up on him one day in the field. And his brothers came up with this plan because they couldn't stand Joseph. They wanted to get rid of him, so they had him thrown. They threw him into a big empty pit, and there's no way for Joseph to get out. And eventually, instead of letting, leaving him there to die... One of the brothers decides on an alternative. And they decide, hey, instead of leaving him here for dead, that would crush our father, let's sell him to these uh, slave owners who are on their way to Egypt. Do you know who came up with that idea? Judah. Judah's the one who came up with the idea to sell Joseph to these slaves. And so that's what they do. That's the first thing we read about Judah as as a man. Not a very good thing. And then we read in Genesis 38 that Judah left his brothers. He went to a foreign land, to the land of Canaan, to marry a foreign pagan worshiper, which was forbidden by God at the time. And he had three sons with her. And the first son married a woman named Tamar. And the first son did something wicked in God's eyes, and God had him put, he, God took his life. The second son did something wicked with Tamar, and God took his life. 
So now Judah has one son left. He has one daughter-in-law. And he's, he promises Tamar, he says to her, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. When my youngest son comes of age, I'm going to give him to you in marriage so that you don't have to finish out your life as a widow. And so years and years and years go on, and Judah forgets. He just forgets. And we're told that Tamar took matters into her own hands. She's growing up a widow. She's convinced that Judah's never going to make good on his promise. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She doesn't want to die a widow. She doesn't want to die childless. So she disguises herself. She dresses provocatively. And she puts herself in Judah's way, her father-in-law. And Judah sees her, doesn't recognize her, and propositions her. And I'm sure you can figure out the rest of the story. Three months later, it's discovered that Tamar is pregnant. And Judah is enraged because that was shameful for any woman to be pregnant out of wedlock. And he wants her to be killed. But then he finds out, he finds out that he was the one. He was the one who was unfaithful with her, his own daughter-in-law. And he, he says he's sorry for what he did. He spares her life. But then the child is born. And this... This is how God chooses to continue the family line of Jesus. Through this one shameful act between Judah and Tamar, the family line of Jesus continues. And that should leave us wondering, why would God, number one, why would he choose to continue Jesus' family line this way, through, this, through these kind of people? And, and why in telling about the birth of the Savior of the world, would you want to dredge up one of the creepiest stories in the whole Bible? Why would you want to do that? Why would God want to, want to remind us of that? You're not going to find that story in any children's Bible. And yet here it is, buried underneath the story of Christmas. The story of Judah and Tamar. Why Tamar? Well, let's look at the next couple of women, beginning in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1 goes on, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There's the second one, Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. His mother was Ruth. Now, the next woman we meet here is Rahab. And the thing about Rahab is that she had a label attached to her. Rahab had a label attached to her. And in ancient times, people would acquire labels. And so you'd have their first name and then a label, you know, like Rahab the you know, whatever. And, and oftentimes, that's how we remember people or characters in the Bible. And it's often how we remember people today. So I'm just going to do a test with you to show how this works. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a first name and you're going to tell me what their label is, okay? Is everybody okay with that? Okay. Thank you. John the... Good. Conan the... Alexander the, Oscar the, Dora the, Buffy the, Jabba the, Gandalf the. I knew that would mess you guys up. 
Now, now most of these, most of the people, the characters that I uh, tested you with there, have labels that are flattering. Even Oscar liked being called a grouch, right? Rahab's label, not so flattering. Rahab was a prostitute. That's how she's labeled. She's even labeled that way in the New Testament. And in in Joshua chapter 2, we read about Rahab, we read about the story of Jericho. And some of you might remember the story of Jericho. There was this pagan city, and that's where Rahab lived. She was not only was she a prostitute, but uh, like Tamar, she was a foreigner. She was a pagan. She worshipped foreign gods, and she lived in Jericho. And God had told the Israelites to march around Jericho. They had these giant walls. They were going to march around the city seven times. And on the seventh day, they were going to blow the trumpets. And the walls came down and Israel laid siege. They took over. They, they, they took captive the city of Jericho. And God chose to use one native uh, pagan living in Jericho to accomplish that plan. You know who it was? It was Rahab, a prostitute. And so in Joshua chapter 2, it's a fascinating story. Full of, it, there's spies and lies and intrigue. And Rahab, through this whole story, she ends up on God's side, being part of God's family. But before that, she was a prostitute. That's how she was known. And even in the New Testament, the New Testament writers refer to her as Rahab the prostitute. The label sticks through the whole Bible. And it leaves us wondering, why would Jesus want us to know that he came from a pagan prostitute? There's a pagan prostitute in his family line. Why would he want Matthew to record that for us? Isn't that interesting? You know what else is interesting is that the biblical writers spend more time talking about Rahab the prostitute than they spend talking about Mary the mother of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that before? Next we come to Ruth. Ruth has a whole book of the Bible written after her. And Ruth's story is mostly a good one, but she wasn't a Jew either. Um, Ruth was a Moabite. And Jews and Moabites hated each other. So this would be, again, a very shocking thing for a Jewish person to read, that Jesus came from a Moabite woman. And, and, and this, again, is a kind of a creepy story. I'm going to give you an abbreviated version. But way back in the days of Abraham, Abraham and his nephew Lot, they, they lived together, they dwelled together for a long time, and then they separated. And Lot took his two daughters and went up into the mountains to live out the rest of his life in a cave, took his two daughters with him, and there's a lot of disturbing events that unfolded in the caves. You read about this in the early parts of Genesis, around Genesis 19.20. And what ends up happening, long story short, is, is Lot ends up having children with one of his daughters. And that's how the nation of Moab started. Nations back then started as families. And that's how the Moabites started. And God cursed the Moabites and said that for ten generations, they would not be able to enter the assembly for worship. So Ruth is a foreigner from a cursed nation, a nation born out of incest, and God chooses to her to carry on the family line of his son. Now there's another name here, I I think, that takes the cake. And, And her name actually is not even mentioned because probably it was so controversial. I want you to look with me one last time at Matthew 1 verse 6. Matthew 1 verse 6 says, And Jesse was the father of King David, who everybody knew. 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. (laughs) Now Matthew sort of drops a bomb right there. Because he could have just said, and David the king begot Solomon, and Solomon begot Rehoboam, but he pauses. And he, and, and he pauses to remind us of the most regrettable decision that King David ever made. He pauses to remind us that King David, the most celebrated king in all of Israel's history, made a tragic decision that would change the rest of his life and would, would actually tear his family apart. Matthew could have pointed us to King David the warrior, King David the shepherd, King David the man after God's own heart. But instead he points us to King David the adulterer and King David the murderer. Matthew goes out of his way to tell us that Solomon was the son of David and that his mother had been another man's wife. You know know who he's talking about, right? Did you know that Jesus, great, 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 grandma is Bathsheba. Did you know that? Bathsheba. Bathsheba does not have a very positive reputation. Uriah's name, her husband's name, the one who David has killed, his name somehow lands on the genealogy of Jesus. That totally threw me off as I'm studying this. Like, what is Uriah's name doing here? He had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. He is simply a victim of greed and lust and deception. And his name comes up here. And Uriah's name, especially Bathsheba's, will forever be associated with the darkest deeds of Israel's past. Why why bring up that story when you're telling about the Savior of the world and how he came into the world? Why bring up any of these women? Why would you want to highlight any of these women? There are a lot of godly Jewish women that Matthew could have included here. Sarah. Rebecca, Leah, why not add them? Why not choose those women? They lived honorable lives. Why go out of your way to show us how dysfunctional Jesus' extended family is? And here's what I think. Here's why I think Matthew did this. God could have gone back on his promise to send a Messiah to save his people from their sin. I mean, that's who Jesus is, God with us. God could have rescinded his promise. He could have found another way. He could have wiped out this family and started fresh with another kind of family. He, God could have chosen a, a righteous and attractive and successful family to make up his family tree. He could have chosen Joseph over Judah. Joseph is the one who lived the life of courage and faith and honesty. He could have chosen Abigail, David's honorable wife, over Bathsheba, another man's wife. He could have done that. At the very least, he could have hidden these people or kept them off the list. He could have entered history any other way. But God did not choose to do that. 
God did not go around these people. He didn't try to hide them. He didn't try to sweep them and their sin under the rug. He comes right through them. Instead, God identifies with a very twisted, mixed up, and shady family. And you know what God's saying? He doesn't say, you have to try harder and do better and work harder and once you've redeemed yourself, then maybe I'll send a rescuer to help you. Maybe I'll send the Messiah. Salvation never works that way. God didn't say, you have to become more like me and then I'll accept you. Salvation never works that way. God becomes like us. God enters into a family as one of us. As a human being, fully human. He's tempted just like we are. He's weak just like we are. He suffers just like we are. He experiences the injustice and the hatred and the violence that this world is full of. Just like we do. He doesn't distance himself from us. And, and Jesus, rather than cursing this family, he becomes a curse for them. He took their sin upon himself. He takes our punishment on himself, on the cross. He dies for us. He dies for our sin. That's how God deals with us. And the reason I think that God enters through this kind of family is to prove once and for all that nothing can stand in his way. That, that he's going to be faithful to his promises even when we are not faithful. You know, Jesus didn't choose the most impressive family to come through. He chose people like us. And in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says that Jesus is not ashamed to call them and to call us family. He's not ashamed of us. Even though he has reason to be, he's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed to be identified with us. He's not ashamed to be identified with a mixed up family like this. And and there's one more person I want to point out to you today before we close. And that is Matthew. Matthew. You know Matthew had a label? Matthew actually had a label too. He was Matthew the tax collector. He was a tax collector. He cheated people. Tax collectors were hated by ancient peoples. They cheated people to make money. That's what they did. They took advantage of people. They always collected more than they needed to. That's how they earned their way. And when Jesus meets Matthew for the first time, he doesn't say to Matthew, hey, you tax collector, I want to ask you to follow me, but you're not ready yet. You're not worthy. So I want you to clean up your act. I want you to clean up your life and get right with God. In a few weeks, I'm going to come back and hopefully you'll be ready. That's not what he does. The first time Jesus meets Matthew, he's at the tax booth. And he says, Matthew, follow me. Just as you are. Right now. And Matthew did. He got up and he left his old life. And he follows Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus asks all of us to do tonight. No matter what your condition is, no matter how messed up your past is, no matter what's going on in your life right now, Jesus says to us, follow me, just as you are, follow me. 
trust me. You may think that you're not worthy or ready to follow God because of your past, because of who you are. But no one has ever been invited into God's presence because they were ready. Nobody has ever been invited into God's presence to be near to God because they were worthy. Nobody. The only way people can be close to God, can start a relationship with God, the only way people can know God is because because God invites them to just as they are. And they actually accept that invitation. They actually believe what God has said. They actually believe that only God is able to make them worthy, to cover their sin, to forgive them because of his grace. Nobody Nobody can clean up their act. Nobody can make up for everything they've done. Nobody's worthy. In Romans chapter 3, we read, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. It's just by His grace. And Matthew's life proves the reality of God's grace. And I wonder, I, I wonder if a conversation ever took place between Jesus and Matthew where Jesus, towards the end of his life, said to Matthew, Matthew, someday you're going to write a little book about me. You're going to write this little book about me. And, and when you do, you know, you're so good at, at keeping records and, and keeping transactions and debts and payments and all that kind of stuff. That used to be your way of life. I want to make sure that you record this. That when the Son of God dies for a sinner, their debt is paid in full. There is no negotiating with God. There is no paying God back. When I die, when my blood covers the sin of anybody, they are free forever. Their sin is covered. All of their sin that they've ever committed, every sin they ever will commit has been paid for by me. They owe me nothing. The only response I ask is gratitude and joy and peace and worship. Will you record that for me, Matthew? When someone comes to me in faith and they start a relationship for me, it's over. They are not identified with their past anymore. They are identified with me. They belong in my family now. And nothing will ever be the same. It doesn't matter what they've done. Adultery, incest, murder, deception, prostitution, paganism, it's been paid for. I came through it. I overcame it. All you can do is trust me and follow me. All of my life and my work point to this reality that God through me has shown grace to sinners. In fact, Matthew, even my own family line proves this. In fact, when you start your record of my life, Matthew, why don't you just start there with my family line? I wonder if Jesus ever had a conversation with, with Matthew like that. Because right here in, in the front of the New Testament, we're shown them what God makes a promise. Nothing and no one can stand in his way. His promise and his love are unstoppable. There is not a single person who does not need him. And yet people choose every day to reject him. What about you? What about you? Will you trust him? Will you follow him and not look back? Let me close this in prayer. 
Our Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and that when you promise us anything, you always make good on it. We don't have to doubt. We, we, we sometimes are impatient and wonder when you're going to come through and wonder when we're going to, to hear you or see you more clearly, but we know that you never leave us. You've, you, you never forsake us. You are always with us. And we thank you for Jesus, the author and founder of our faith, who came before us and who came through a very dysfunctional family so that we could know you as you are and so that you could know us as we are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for coming to be with us for this uh, short time tonight. We really do hope that you have a wonderful Christmas with your friends and family. And I want to ask one more thing of you uh, before I let you go. If you, uh, if what you heard tonight was, was new news about God and you haven't heard God spoken about that way, as being someone who is accessible, as being someone who is, is, is near to us through faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't have what you would call a relationship with God, like a meaningful relationship with God, I would encourage you to talk to me. I don't really have any plans tonight, so if you want to stick around and talk afterwards, I'm more than willing to do that. If you'd like to talk about uh, what it means to follow God, what it means to have a life-changing relationship with Him, where your confidence and your security and your hope is completely transformed, where your everything about you is, is, is made new, your whole identity is changed because of what God has already done through Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that. Um, But I know that many of you have plans, and you have to be somewhere. So we're going to let you go, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful night. And and please don't forget why we're here and why we celebrate Christmas every year. So go in peace.